Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented exclusively on the Chop Sports Channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Thursday, May 18th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, we reach the penultimate weekend of the Premier League and go through fixtures. And we say hello to some new friends and say goodbye to old friends. But this episode is going to be all about Manchester City defeating Real Madrid in an incredible performance. But before we start, please like, share, subscribe. Like, share, subscribe. Like, share, subscribe. It means everything to us, and we need you so much. Thank you, and let's get to it. Well, it has happened. Manchester City have defeated the great and powerful Real Madrid and... That is what we're going to start the show with. Um, how did I feel? How did it go? How did it happen? It was incredible. Uh, I was afraid. I was nervous. But City put on a performance for the ages, frankly. And I don't think we'll, I'll be able to sort of really understand it until I examine it a bit more and watch it for the second or third time, as I do with so many of these games. I do watch them over and over again. I think what we what we saw was a Guardiola side that has been honed and crafted and put together and lives with a confidence that it has not had in the past. I think the players had slowly been taking things on and, and feeling where they were and the right players had come into the right spots and the defensive nature of Diaz and Stones, and Akanji, and Walker really shone through. We had, it's now year three with Rodri, and City were just in complete, absolute, and total control. There was no fear. Everything was easy. It was a walk in a park, and over the two legs, City defeat Real Madrid 5-1 on aggregate, and it was not even close. It was not even close close. Uh, I want to go through City first before we get into um, before we get into what happened with Real Madrid and what it means for them. So City came back with the same lineup. Grealish, Holland, Silva with Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne in those holding eight roles with <clears throat> Rodri and Stones in the midfield and then the back line of Ikanji, Diaz and Walker with Ederson in goal. And it was all about control. Even within the first few minutes, Stone steps into the midfield. There's a, a little bit of a press from Real Madrid, a little bit of attempting to put pressure under, put City under pressure, but it really never came to anything. And it really, especially in the first half, I think on the 10, 15 minute mark, I think there was a stat on the CBS broadcast that City had made 150 passes to Real Madrid's 15. This was not a close performance. This was not anything resembling anything that Real Madrid had ever done. Um, <clears throat> the first 20 minutes were all City. First Kyle, first Kyle Walker had a shot from deep that didn't look close. Rodri had an amazing chance on seven minutes. John Stones took a pot shot from deep because because of the influence of Holland and the lack of mobility of Modric and Cruz, 
anything coming in this in before in front of the defense was open. So City could take deep shots, long shots, any kind of space in the midfield, especially in front of the 18-yard box, was available. Uh, Grealish cut inside for one. De Bruyne took a shot on a free kick that he just quite didn't miss. And then the first big volley save by Corta on 21. Um, Holland gets in a really great position. It's De Bruyne to Akanji, crosses it in, headed down. It hits Courtois right sort of in his midriff. And that's the first big save that Courtois comes up with. And he's going to show up in this game many, many times. In fact, I got that wrong. He had already made the first save on 13. This was the second save on 21. The second save on 21 was incredible. This was the back of the hand flick when he's going across the other way. The first was saved from Drac Grealish. That one is the one that hit Courtois and City were in business. Even in those moments, once that that first, that second Holland save happened, Real Madrid were at sea. They really couldn't deal with what City was bringing and they were gone. They were lost. Their heads were gone. Fernand, um, Enzo Valverde just seemed to just follow Gundogan around as though he was the most important thing that was happening. Then Bernardo Silva, who had been attacking um, uh, Camavinga the whole game. I think <clears throat> Pep realized that that was the side to attack and something they didn't exploit in the first game. He cuts in on goal, fires it top bins, dummies to the far post shot and fires it in the top and City were up a goal. I let out a big scream. My poor wife uh, yelled at me, which is normal. She tends to yell at me. Um, but at that point, City had already deserved three goals, especially the two Holland. So on 23, first 20 minutes, just a complete and total dominance. Then again, on 37, another attack. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan's shot is blocked. It's cleared. But then there's Bernardo Silva, calm as you like, cool, right in the middle of the box, heads it past the Real Madrid, Madrid defender. City are up 2-0 going into halftime and Real at that point needed halftime. They were cooked. They were finished. This was a complete and total masterclass that the second half, I'd say, you know, there was a little bit more from, um, from Real Madrid, but a goal by a Kanji. And then in night and the 94th minute after the dogs have been called off, uh Alvarez and Foden just go hey we're still really good we may not have started this game but we will connect and they had a beautiful goal to get their thing through what a performance I just can't really explain what it was like to see City just completely annihilate the most dangerous team in Europe not so much on their play Real but on their stature so we'll go on the Real side. They just didn't have the legs or the or the wherewithal or the tactical nous or anything. There was nothing. I think a lot of what had been happening with Real was they were living on their legend and backing it up, to be fair, right? They they got through games. They had the 2-0 the at Anfield and they scored five in the second half. But City are not Liverpool. This is different. We have the best midfield in the world, the best coach in the world. Um, we have the pain of Real Madrid. No one else has that. 
And so where Real Madrid may have been feeling confident in their heroes of Benzema and Vinicius and Rodrigo and Modric and Cruz and, and Fede Valverde and Militao and all those names, Carvajal, guys with four and five Champions Leagues. I mean, incredible players that are all-time greats. They believed their own hype. They smelled their own shit and thought that they could just show up and hang in there. And it almost worked. Courtois was amazing. He made those two saves early. And I'm sure Real Madrid at that point felt like, oh, we've got this. We've got the magic. We'll find a way. And there was a moment. Cruz took a shot that hit the bar uh, in in the first half, I believe. That was really scary. And had it gone in, it might have been a different scene. But Kroos' shot didn't end up going in. And there really wasn't any moment. There was a couple moments there for Vinicius. He ran in on goal and Kyle Walker stride for stride. The touch goes long. I mean, he's running at full speed, clears it out. Kyle Walker was immense. But for Real Madrid, and if you know what a club Real Madrid is like, this is a complete crisis. When they get blown out, these become seismic European events that the world has to pay attention to. And for them, they will be looking internally and going, what happened? What happened? What happened? Do they? Does Ancelotti come back? What happens to this transition of Kroos and, um, and Modric? Modric, 38 years old. And they looked it. I think one of the things you take away from this game as I watched it the second and third time is the midfielders for Real Madrid just couldn't get close to the City players. And as they tried to move forward and tried to run They just were always a step or two behind and they couldn't get their passing going. And when they went long, City had two players there. They had a strong, big central defense. This is one of the things that's different about this City side. It's big. Diaz is a big sucker. Walker is an athletic player. John Stones in the midfield is over six foot. Rodri is six foot. If you really think about it, Rodri played center back for Spain. That means that City are playing Five center backs, but two of those center backs, Rodri and Stones, can are so good on the ball that they could be midfielders. And you can see it in the passing and the connectivity. And then, of course, going forward, um, you know, Holland occupied space, had a really good game. He pressed a lot. He led, even though he didn't score a goal, he created space and fear. You know, there were always two center backs. They were always collapsing into him. So all the runs, all the stuff while he was off the ball, wasn't able to help them. And, you know, it's never a good game where you lose 4-0 and, and Courtois is your best player. Um, I think fundamentally Real Madrid were naive. They tried to play 4-3-3 against City's midfield four. Like, what are you doing? There was always going to be an extra man with De Bruyne, uh, Gundogan, um, Rodri and Stones just in there all the time. And when they needed to make up numbers, they were able to just play around um, Valverde and and Kroos and, and Modric. There was never anything there. Rodri, ne- Rodrigo for them never came back in. Vinicius Jr. was always staying high and, and Benzema never came deep either. So they were really just defending with their seven against City's eight in attack. So they were just overrun and outplayed. It was It was shocking, frankly. And it was never close. And City, with their methodical new way, this is a, a watershed moment, I think, um, for Champions League football. This is reminiscent of 2011 Barcelona um, against United, where you knew 
you were seeing something different. You knew you had seen a pinnacle of a team where I think that's what's happening right now with, um, with City. There is a peak that's happening right now that we haven't seen before. It's something different than what we have seen over the last um, over the last eight years of Pep. It's something else. There's a lack of naivety. There's a strength. There's a creativity. There's a pragmatism. All the pieces that you want to see from your um, from your side are there now, and it's just an amazing feeling to to understand that your team is now two steps away from immortality. Uh, that's really where it is for Manchester City right now. There's the game Sunday against Chelsea, and there is the FA Cup final and this Champions League final. Uh, win the game in the Premier League, win any of the next two games or three games, and they're Premier League champions. And then win an FA Cup against Manchester United and your FA Cup champions. And then the season's penultimate final boss level is going to be Inter Milan, who defeated AC Milan in a, in a game I didn't even watch. I was more interested in watching Luton Town <laughs> versus, um, versus, versus Sunderland than watching that game. I just don't enjoy Italian football as much as I'd like to. Sorry, Angela. Um, I just, it's not fun for me. So I don't really watch it as much as I'd like to. Um, just amazing feelings to see, to have that happen. I don't know how to even put it anymore. Uh, just a great, great day, a great, great moment. Um, and I have a, I had a take and it's this. I was trying to search for why City have elevated themselves to this next level of somewhat of a revenge tour, somewhat of a, how do we get, how do we get to this place? And I thought I am a big NBA fan and I follow it pretty closely via podcast. I don't watch it as much, but I follow it via podcast. And one of the things that popped into my head was the 2014 San Antonio Spurs. Uh, San Antonio Spurs had a two 15, 22 decade dominance under Tim Duncan. They had won championships with Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, and they had this emergent team when uh, Kawhi Leonard was on a team and the three other, the three amigos were getting older. And they took LeBron's Miami team after they had lost to Dallas to the brink. Uh, they were up three with two minutes to go. And they were up three with two minutes to go. And, you know, we have the famous LeBron goes nuts at home and we have the Ray Allen shot, you know, the rebound by um, the rebound goes to, to Ray Allen and he takes the three and, and, and makes the shot. So, and they win and then they go on to game seven, but the following season, that's the 13 season, the following season, the Spurs come out on a mission and in the finals, they whoop Miami in a level of basketball that has not been seen since as much as we like to say the Warriors were the 2014 Spurs were pure basketball. This was not a superstar laden team. It was older guys in their thirties. They had a young Kawhi, 
but they whoop the ball around and, you know, with European style, share the ball style. And they, they broke the spirit of the, the Heatles and it ended up ending the Heatles after that uh, LeBron left and then goes to Miami. But that loss the season before is what drove them. And I can see in City that the Real Madrid semifinal loss being up to and losing from the 90th minute on and then losing an extra time drove this City team to be like, we internalize it, we hurt. Mardano Silva said that they hurt. Pep said they hurt. Rodri literally said this is a revenge game. They all internalized that loss the previous season and said, never again. We're going to get back to this place and we're going to beat this Real team and take them out. And they did. And so now they have this very focused mission of we're winning this Champions League. We've defeated the team that put the most pain on us that we could possibly have. And now we're going to face Inter in Istanbul and we're going to complete the mission. This is it. This is the time. This city side has reinvented itself to become something else, something that's bigger, something that's historical. Now, I have heard the media and the press, of course, start bringing up, and I'm going to bring it up, uh, you know, all the FFP, all the money. Oh, it doesn't invoke passion. They didn't have to do it the hard way. If you like football, there's something about football that excellence and skill and technical nature of the game is rewarded. And City are playing at a pure level right now. Um, I think it was Robbie Musto on the Two Robbies podcast. He's watching the Real game. I listened to his show. And he said, this game lifted me up the way that City played, the purity of the play, the levels that it is. Now, you can get more dramatic games for sure. You can see, you can watch Peterborough <laughs> versus Sheffield Wednesday, a 5-5 that goes through on penalties for the for the League One playoffs. That's more exciting. It's not as good, but it's definitely more dramatic. But City lifted themselves up, took themselves to a level that we haven't seen yet, and it's got to culminate on the treble so that Manchester City can be considered the greatest team of all time. I don't know why I'm sweating. <laughs> but I am. Um, so, who is City's opponent? City's opponent will be Inter Milan. Uh, they defeated AC Milan on a goal by Lautaro Martinez. This team is not in the class of Real Madrid. Also has an old midfield of Chaganaglu, uh, Mkhitaryan, and Brozovic. They still run Jeko out there, who's at 35, still a decent striker. But this is not a team in the class of City or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, nowhere near anyone that, or even Leipzig. City had to beat some good teams. So City will be favored. They're already five to one favorites uh, in this game. Uh, it should be a coronation and we'd expect it. We'd expect it to be something along the lines of a coronation. City have a lot of work to do. It's exciting. Um, it was a great moment, and I'm over the moon uh, hoping <laughs> that City get it done and we have a moment to really celebrate what has been what City is, which is this amazing team that I don't want to be whatever, like 
our narrative is not credited, right? City is evil. We're the bad guys. And I get it. We can be the bad guys. It makes for an easy narrative. But, you know, not being lovable doesn't mean we're not fantastic. You know, we don't have uh, air disasters or fans getting crushed or anything like that. We're just a regular team from a working class neighborhood who got bought by a sheik. It's not our fault. It happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, amazing, amazing moments. Uh, let's just get into the Premier League because that's where we are. Uh, that's where we've got to go. And I'm just going to go through the schedule like normal, just straight, uh, starting with a game that happened today, uh, Newcastle four, Brighton one. Uh, this was a Newcastle that was rampant. This was the Newcastle we've seen at home all season at, at St. James's Park. And I think that, frankly, the great and powerful uh, Brighton just couldn't muster another performance against another good team to, to push them over the line. As much as all their underlying numbers, and I talk about XG and all that stuff happen all the time, Brighton just didn't have it in this one. Newcastle take 22 shots. Uh, they get an own goal on an amazing cross. Trippier was amazing in this game. Every single time he got on a ball and made a cross, it went someplace dangerous. He caused the own goal. Dan Byrne right on the head on 45, the worst goal you can give up just before halftime. And then late in the second half, uh, Callum Wilson and Grimares both go in on goal on breaks as, as Brighton is breaking in. So Callum Wilson on 89, then Gumaris on Bruno on 91. And then there was another break that they missed. Uh, Undav did pull one back. So uh, Brighton lived to fight another day, but they can't feel good about where they are. But this for Newcastle does put them in the driver's seat for the top four. They're probably nailed on now. They've got the points. They've got the, they've got the players and they can start celebrating European Knights in St. James's Park. Again, big, big win for them. They are on 69 um, with a game, with two games to play uh, while Liverpool are on 65 points. So it's going to be tough for them to drop out. They'll probably get their just reward and Brighton start to slip these extra games in hand. They're slip, they have a, they had a hand and a chance at Europa, but it looks like, oh no, I think sixth place. I think they will get Europa League playoffs uh, for their sixth place spot. I don't think Tottenham will catch them, uh, but they do have to get a win to solidify where they are. That's today's game. That just happened. Uh, then we'll go into Saturday. Let's just go by the by of the clock. Uh, we start with probably the least meaningful game of the weekend. Uh, Spurs and Brentford locked into where they are. Spurs at this point want their season to end. Brentford without striker Ivan Tony, who's uh, we've talked about earlier. His gambling issues have come to the fore. He had over 200 counts of impro improper gambling. Footballers are not allowed to gamble on football. So he may have been placing bets uh, regardless of whether it's your team or not. He did do that, and he gets an eight-month ban uh, starting immediately. Uh, he can start begin training with his team again after four months, so that takes him into September. Uh, Brentford do want to try and re-sign him, but this is going to put a dent a little bit into Brentford because they need to keep their players so that they can sell them <laughs> on for money. Uh, but Spurs at this point 
are on the beach. Um, you know, my, Ryan Mason is not anything to write home about. I'm sure Spurs want to do better, but at this point, do they really want to make the conference league? Do they really want to be in Europa League? Uh, their big worries are who's their coach, who's going to be their coach, and will Harry Kane stay? So those are the narratives for Spurs. But you know, I'm sure they'll want to put on a good performance for the t- for the fans at home. But Lottie fucking da. Then the great and powerful Liverpool will host Aston Villa. This is actually a big game. Uh, Liverpool, if they want to reach the Champions League, will need to defeat the great and powerful Aston Villa. Aston Villa, I would not say that they have slipped, but they're off the high of the Unai Emery experience. Uh, The goals have slowed up just a smidge for our friend, Mr. Ollie Watkins. He was on that streak. Um, So it's just a little bit of a, of a tough sleigh for uh, Villa. It is a little bit weird. It should have been a game that Steven Gerrard would have been uh, a part of a game that Philip Coutinho would have been a part of, but the way Unai Emery has put this team together uh, is going to be interesting. I think this, these are at this point of the season, relatively evenly matched teams. Um, Now Anfield, is a different beast. (laughs) As we all know, Anfield makes weird things happen. And so uh, having Aston Villa visit Anfield makes this, of course, advantage Liverpool. And we'll see what the Trent Alexander-Arnold experience is like. The reverse fixture was a win by Liverpool, 3-1. I don't remember that game. It was on Boxing Day. No recollection of that at all. And then the previous one uh, last May was also uh, Liverpool 2-1. So uh, they always were able to beat Steven Gerrard, but this is the first time they will... Oh, no, they beat Unai Emery. This will be the rematch of the earlier season Boxing Day game. And you'd expect a really fraught game because I think even though Liverpool are on a seven-game winning streak, they have played some weaker opposition let's be fair uh and so this will be a test for them um i do like villa a lot but this is a bridge too far Uh, the way that liverpool are playing the way that they're finally getting themselves together into a method that makes sense for them changing finally (laughs) whatever klopp was doing and he wasn't able to sort of get the team into a different place he finally has put the team together in a new way that will allow them to play in a way that should allow them to take advantage of their best player which i think fairly or unfairly it seems that um trent alexander arnold is their best player at this point so uh you know that's there um yeah And this will be a goodbye for some Liverpool friends, Bobby Firmino leaving the team and such. Okay, Fulham, Crystal Palace, a London derby. That means nothing. The less talked about this, the better. (laughs) Uh, No, not really. Uh, Looking forward to both these teams uh, next season, who they keep, who goes. Alisi could move. uh, Paulinho could move. We wonder what happens with Zaha. The good news is Uncle Roy will return. He has signed 
for next season to come back and play for the great and powerful uh, Crystal Palace. Great little documentary on YouTube by Gary Neville about the team. He's not a documentary, uh, overlap where he talks to Roy Hodgson and talks to Parrish, Steve Parrish, the owner of the team. Really interesting to hear their story about management and football and how it is to run a team. So good stuff there. I recommend it. It's on YouTube. Check it out. Fulham versus Palace. Then again, also in the 3 p.m., 10 o'clock, 7 a.m. window here in California, Bournemouth at home versus Manchester United. This is about as easy a game as United is going to get. If they win this game, they will be locked on for the Champions League spot. Uh, I'd expect them to win. This is as big a game as United have had in a long time. They need these games. They need to tick them over. They beat Wolves. Now they've got to beat Bournemouth. These are the games that if you're a good team, you just simply take care of them. No fucking around. No messing around. United, you beat Bournemouth. You're in, I think. Something like that. (laughs) They still have a few more games to go. I can't do math. I don't care. They just need to win games. Uh, They'll know Villa and Liverpool will be playing at the same time. And they'll know where they are. Uh, The biggest game on Saturday, uh, there's two relegation battle games on Saturday. Uh, Wolves hosting Everton. Everton have to get something out of this game. Every single point. Draws, scratching, claws, wins. A win is gold for Everton. If a win will put them into safety at this point. Um, They just want to get away from that line. Everton have been playing well of late, but away from home, a little bit tougher than you'd expect. And then Nottingham Forest host Arsenal. This is probably the best time to meet Arsenal. You possibly could meet them. They're down. They're hurt. Their souls are crushed. Nottingham Forest, you have everything to play for. You've got to get this done. A point, Nottingham Forest. A point will put you on 35 and about as close to safety and as about as good as you can expect. Come on, you tricky trees. Uh, I love Steve Cooper. I think they will get something from this game. I think Forest will get something against Arsenal. Arsenal have not had a good time when they have gone to the city ground. I believe that in the last season or two seasons ago, Nottingham Forest did put Arsenal out of the FA Cup in a game at home. Uh, they did play uh, to a draw, I believe, earlier this year. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I uh, know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is a massive, massive game for Forest, and they're going to want to pull this one out. That's Saturday. So Saturday in the morning. Early game, Tottenham, Brentford, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Fulham, Crystal Palace, Bournemouth, Manchester United, with Manchester United having to win. Then our two relegation battlers, Wolves versus Everton. Everton have got to get something. This is probably one of their best chances. And then Forest, their last home game of the year against Arsenal. They've got to get something out of this. Then on Sunday, the great and powerful West Ham host Leeds. If Big Sam is going to save Leeds, this is the game to save them. West Ham are in the semifinal, are in the final of the Europa Conference League. They won today against Azed Akmar. So good for them. 1-0 in a defensive struggle. Listen, David Moyes is happy. They've got this cup run. They don't care about this game. Come on, Leeds. Let's make it interesting. Then Brighton versus Southampton. Southampton already relegated. Brighton, eh, not really caring about what happens here. Um, Not a game I'm going to write home about. Although. Brighton will want to win this after losing today against Nottingham Forest in City's final home game of the year. 
It could be a trophy celebration. They host Frank Lampard and his limp dicked Chelsea. City coming off their biggest win of the year, their biggest win ever, their best performance ever. I don't need to go through it again, but City will want to win this game so that they can rest until the other games. If they don't win this game, then they've got to carry on and continue. Um, they will already be champions if Nottingham Forest beat Arsenal the day before. So it could be rather anticlimactic if Forrest do get something or do beat Arsenal. So we're getting near the end of the season. This is how it is. Uh, then on Monday, uh, the great and powerful Newcastle will host Leicester City, who are looking very much the likely weakest of the relegation battlers. What I find with Leicester City is it's a team that we think of as relegation battlers because of who they are and where they were before they won the title. But most of the players on this Leicester city side have never experienced relegation. There isn't a fight in them. They finished eighth, fifth, fifth, and eighth. Most of this side is not seasoned relegation battlers. They're not used to this. They want to play. And so when Leicester come out, with Tielemans and Madison and Vardy and Barnes and, and Castagna. Is that what they need? Are those guys going to roll up their sleeves and try and get a dirty draw or something like that? So I think we've all underestimated Leicester because they're in a different context now. They're not trying to play and have time and get wins. This is like do or die death mode. And I don't think they have any players that understand death. Well, football death. <laughs> and so uh, Leicester will go to St. James's Park trying to get anything. Uh, Newcastle are not fucking around. I just watched them beat the shit out of Brighton. And Leicester are like a shit version of Brighton. A much, much shittier version of Brighton. So we'll see what happens there. Um, this was a difficult episode to do. I want to give some uh, a little bit of Laurent life. Uh, these shows aren't always easy to do. Uh, they don't always come natural. They don't always feel good. Um, and this one was a struggle and I don't, can't understand why. I think it's because I ate hot dogs and potato chips. Anyway, uh, I'm not going to bore you <laughs> with that. I will try and work on some sort of life piece, uh, it, working into the shows versus just doing the straight talk of football. I think you guys want to know who I am. Okay. As we wait. For the final moments of the show, uh, Manchester City on for the treble, on for a chance at immortality, on to be perhaps the greatest English football team of all time. It could happen. It could happen. Okay, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with me, Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please, like, share, subscribe. It means everything. Thank you. 